pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this afternoon. Thank you that you decided to pursue us when we were not pursuing you, that you sent Jesus for us. When not only were we not pursuing you, but we were your enemies. We were at enmity uh, towards you. We had pushed you away. We had done our own thing. We sought to be human in our own way, and it caused so much pain to us and the world around us. And, and you didn't give up on us in that moment. He didn't do what humans do so naturally and write us, off, write us off or give up on us, but you came in the person of Jesus to pursue us, to love us, to reconcile with us, to do the, the hard work of extending your hand to us to say, I want to reconcile, to do the hard work that's required in any relationship where there's been a break. Someone has to forgive to move forward, and you forgave. And your forgiveness wasn't cheap, it was costly. Cheap grace wasn't an option for you, grace was costly for you, that it might be free for us, and you, you died on the cross in our place. And it wasn't weakness that held you up on that cross, it was love. And then you, you, your physical body was taken down off that cross, that body that you chose to enter into, that, that as, as God you chose to humble yourself empty yourself of divine privilege, that that body was then laid in a tomb. And for, for Holy Saturday, for a kind of waiting Saturday, it looked as though we were on our own forever, that nothing had changed, that no messianic prophecy had truly been fulfilled, but then you rose again in victory. And then you ascended to heaven, and now you intercede for us, Jesus. And so would we remember that as a church, our, the thing that unites us, that brings us together, is not a human leader. It's not a human message. It's not a human brand or a human logo or a, a building made by humans. It's, it's Jesus, that he is our unity. He is our peace, not only with God, but with one another. And I pray, God, that you would unite your church tonight in a fresh way. You'd remind us for, for you remind us what you did for us that we might treat each other in the way that you've treated us, that we wouldn't just proclaim the gospel, the good news message to the city, but but that this church could demonstrate the good news to the city by how they treat each other as dearly beloved children. I pray that you'd speak through me and in spite of me tonight, and that you'd be honored, even above the, the men and women we're going to honor tonight. And Jamie and Lisa and Grant and Shell, would the honor first go to Jesus? And then would you help us to appreciate and honor and grieve and be envisioned? There's so many different things that we need to do tonight in your spirit. I pray that you'd help us to do them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, kind of a, a weird time to be a pastor. So often you, you want to encourage Christians like, guys, let's take off our masks and be vulnerable and you got, now I'm like, hey guys, put on your mask. Let's be safe. Um, let's be spiritually vulnerable, physically safe. Um, but, but good afternoon, Harbor City Church. My name is Andy. I lead Restored Church in Uptown San Diego. And I just want to say, if you're here today, it's a special Sunday for a couple different reasons. One, um, uh, normally I'm not up here. Uh, but two, uh, not that I'm special, just it's different. It's a different Sunday. Uh, but also, um, and again, it's a, a handover Sunday. It's a Sunday where leadership transition is going to happen. And um, it's a Sunday service where Harbor City Church, this local expression of Jesus' bride, will experience a change in real time. As our time together starts right now, this church is currently led by Grant and Michelle Clark. 
an amazing couple who planted this church eight years ago out of Red Point Church, led by Nick and Cutty. So there's been this leadership movement happening. And um, at the end of our time together this evening, this church's leadership is going to be entrusted to, to Jamie and Lisa Turnett, another gifted, godly pastoral couple who love this church, love Jesus, love the city of Durban. And so we start with one set of leaders, and at the end of today's worship gathering, this church will be led by a new set of leaders. And in some ways, it's kind of like a wedding ceremony, where at the end of a ceremony uh, or the gathering together, a man and a woman go from being single individuals to, to being a married couple. And so after the ceremony, they have a new role added to their life. The role of husband or the role of wife that didn't exist before. They, um, uh, and simultaneously, they shed another aspect of their life. They are no longer single. In addition to that, at the end of the ceremony, they begin to relate to one another in a different way. No longer only as friends or significant others, but as members of the same family. They might have loved each other deeply and appreciated each other before the ceremony, but after the ceremony, they become an official family. And so what was true of the couple and their extended families changes by the end of their time together. Now, today isn't a wedding. Um, we know that Jesus is the church's bridegroom, not a leader. But that being said, today's service is like a wedding ceremony in that statuses and role changes will place during it. Changes will take place during it. And at weddings, what I usually do to start the ceremony is I remind the bride and the groom of what marriage is according to the scriptures. In a short sermon, and I describe what roles husbands and wives play and what God's per his eternal purposes are for marriage. I try to do a mercifully short sermon and then get to the, the stuff that, the, that the, the crowd's there for the kiss, the pronouncements. But I go, don't forget, this moment only matters because of this truth. And so today there is a leadership transition happening, but, but in a similar vein this afternoon, I want to speak to you, Harbor City and friends, about what the church is biblically and remind you of the role church leaders are supposed to play. What's transitioning? What is a church? Who's supposed to lead churches and in what role is that? that those questions have to be answered before we can appreciate what's going to happen. And so we're going to do a bit of a refresher on that idea. And so I've got three points today in my hopefully merciful, mercifully short sermon. And they're these. Um, uh, number one, church is called to be a family. I don't know if we, do we have a slide or no? Okay. Church is called to be a family. Two, the church is called to be a healthy, maturing family. And three, a church family learns health and maturity from the example and teaching of its leaders. From, not form, that's my typo. The example and teaching of its leaders. And so uh, the first point is this, is church is called to be a family. I, I remember listening to a talk um, from a, uh, a seminar, and there was a woman who was saying, uh, she was describing the church and her experience with the church. And I remember she said um, this, she said, no one loves like the church. And she talks about having a baby with special needs and how vulnerable her and her husband were and their, their new daughter was at the time and how the church around her uh, came around her family for those really challenging moments. And they were bringing meals and uh, providing financially and, and, and helping with childcare and, and, and prayer and encouragement and, and on and on it goes. But the purpose of this woman's talk uh, let me know that, that this wasn't just to talk about how amazing churches can be, because it was a conference on the topic of church hurt and learning to rebuild your faith in Jesus and his church after experiencing spiritual or relational trauma. She was actually there to describe the paradox of church, the tension of navigating life in community. Because while she worked at it, uh, because while she um, was at this church, and it was a huge blessing to her and her family for most of her time at that church, 
over time, she ended working on staff at that church, and she ended up being deeply wounded by the leaders of that church. And I'll never forget this line. She said, no one loves like the church when she is at her best, and no one hurts like the church when she is at her worst. The reason the church, this is important. I don't think churches are uniquely bad. I think they're uniquely important. The reason the church has the capacity to hurt or love in such significant ways is because of what God designed the church to be. The New Testament describes the church as the family of God, the household of God, the oikos of God. Over and over and over again, it's the most dominant metaphor for church in the scriptures. There is no close second. When Paul talks to other Christians, he calls them brothers and sisters. He doesn't say believers and believers, male believers and female believers. Brothers and sisters. Um, if you're interested in this concept, by the way, there's a phenomenal book called When Church Was a Family by a New Testament scholar named Joseph Hellerman. And I remember the first time I dove into this concept of family, and I realized because church is a family, it can be one of the greatest blessings in our lives, but it can also lead to some of the deepest wounds because that's what families have the capacity to do. No one blesses you like family, but no one can hurt you like family because you care about them so much. We're impacted more by family than by friends or coworkers. As a matter of fact, the reason some people are impacted by, fam by friends more than their family is often because their family was so painful or dysfunctional. But everyone deep down cares what their family thinks or wishes that they had a family to care about. Even people who rebel and push their family away are ironically living their entire lives in reaction to their family. Family shapes us in ways other things just don't have the same power to. Think about marriages. If someone's in a healthy, vibrant marriage, that relationship's a big part of their sense of happiness or well-being. Not that you need to be married to be happy. Singles, hear me. You do not need to be married to be happy. But if you are married and you are happy, there's a good chance you think your marriage is a good one. On the flip side, if someone has an abusive relationship with someone who's dangerous or unfaithful, that relationship is a big part of why life would, might feel hard to them if they say life feels hard right now. Spouses are one thing, parents are another. And my pastoral work I do so much work with helping people untangle lies and narratives that they received from caregivers or their family of origin growing up that lead to, to the enemy taking those lies and making them feel extra real. And then they live in response to those beliefs with destructive, sinful behaviors in the present. These lies from the past keep moving forward. Probably 90% of the pastoral care work I do and I'd say probably three-quarters of the work that I refer out to licensed Christian therapists is people with unhealthy relational patterns or sin issues that are connected to explicit or implicit messages communicated to kids or parents that modeled unhealthy, sinful patterns as normative. Bad parents or, or caregivers can significantly impact someone for the rest of their life. But on the flip side, on the flip side, healthy parents create a foundation for their kids to build their life on and thrive into the future. Research has linked healthy relationships with healthy parents to all sorts of things, like being more likely to have courage, less likely to become addicted, and having better interpersonal relationships themselves in the future. So family is a powerful thing. And the beauty of the church, as I talk about this, you might go, I didn't have parents that did that for me. Or, or I had parents that, that abandoned me or, or died way earlier than I ever would want them to or abused me or hurt me is that God takes the orphan and he puts them into family. God takes those who feel 
familially, familially deficient, and he adopts them through the work of Jesus and puts them into a family, the book of Galatians says, that he adopts us and calls us beloved sons and daughters. It says, you guys are brothers and sisters now. And he, the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is our older brother. So when God calls the church to be a, he calls it to be a family, not a Sunday service. This is great. It's awesome. I believe in it. I'm preaching at it, all right? I organize these things for a living, but this is where the family gathers. It's not the family itself. My wife and I have a lot of phenomenal date nights. We have one every week, pretty much. Sometimes twice a week. Come on, Nick. Learn from the best. That date night's not our family, though. That's, our, that's me and my, my wife um, moving towards one another in love. We're remembering what made us family and what we love about each other. And we're enjoying the family. Uh, we're enjoying one another. But that's not our marriage. That's an expression of our marriage. This gathering's an expression of family. And so when God calls the church to be a family, not just a Sunday service, he's putting us in a position to significantly form one another, which as a pastor stresses me out sometimes. It's an honor, but it's a sobering responsibility because when you live as God's family, what the New Testament calls the household of God, again, we have tremendous opportunity either to heal or to wound, to bless or to curse, to add security or add to insecurity, to create safety or instill hiding and shame, to create belonging or remind others of exclusion they already feel. So Harbor City, one of your cultures, if you go on your website, you guys have cultures. One of your cultures and it's a culture that you guys live out. It's a, it's a culture of family. We saw that last night at, the, at the, 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 the party for Grant and Shell. If you're able to be there as the church, so many people honoring and affirming, celebrating, laughing. Families, even Christian families, right? You don't just go to church all day. You eat meals together and you laugh together and you cry together and you travel together. And, and you guys as a church do that, all that stuff. But you don't want to be just any old family. You don't want to be a dysfunctional family that wounds people. You want to be a safe family that creates space for women, children, and men to grow up into maturity. The best place for a child to grow up into adulthood is a healthy family. So the best place for a follower of Jesus to grow up spiritually is in a healthy church. So it's important that we define that type of family we, we, we want to be and what kind of qualities we want our family to have, which leads to point number two. The church is called to be a healthy family. Very few, I don't know if you guys know this, very few, is Nigel here? No? Okay. Boom, there he is. Okay. He pastors this church in the morning. Uh, Grant constantly tells me, he's like, dude, this is one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. So when he breaks down an epistle, you learn stuff. And uh, he, he probably back this. I'm just asking for backup, Nigel, is what I'm doing right now. I'm creating a connection, uh, hoping for backup. But most of the New Testament, uh, New Testament epistles uh, are not written to individuals. They're written to churches. Is that right, Nigel? Would you, would you, yes. They're written to groups of people. Nigel. <laughs> Anglican, educated man. They're written to local churches or groups that make up a regional church. So often when a New Testament letter says you, it could be translated as you all. Or if you're in the American South, y'all. And this is important as we seek to understand what it means to be a healthy church family because we often read these letters with an individualistic, just me and Jesus lens. Even many of us who, who come from more communal, familial cultures, we so often think of our faith expression as individualistic. It's me and Jesus. Again, you're called to have a personal relationship to Jesus, but it's not exclusive. You share it with, it, with a church family. 
An example of what God calls the church to look like is in Romans chapter 12, which I didn't know this, but, but Grant preached from last week. In Romans chapter 12, um, it's almost as if Paul lays out, here's some New Testament family values, okay? Romans chapter 12, I'm gonna start in verse one. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And what you guys need to know is that's written to a church. Together, we view God's mercy. Together, we offer ourselves together as the church, as a living sacrifice. Together, we're having our minds renewed. Together, we're not being conformed to this age. Together, we're discerning what's good, pleasing, and perfect. Paul continues, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use in service. If teaching, in teaching. If in exhortation, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love, zoom in here, let love be without hypocrisy. This isn't fake love, it's real love. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Today, uh, I went to breakfast with my friends Kyle and Kai from Tunisia, and Jackie and I, we made a big deal out of paying for breakfast. You ever do? You're like, I want to honor you, man. I want to do it. And then we realized that the, the, the restaurant couldn't take any of our cards. So we're like, can you guys pay? <laughs> But the point is we were trying to take the lead in honoring one another. Verse 11, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Verse 21, to close this out, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now, I want everyone to relax. I'm not going to teach through this verse by verse. This is a weird sermon. It's, it's, a, it's not weird, right? It's a special Sunday, different Sunday. 
But I want to highlight, there's a lot here, but I want you to catch, that's all communal. It's a culture of these things, a culture of worship, a culture of empowering, an empowering culture of giftedness. We're empowering one another to, to use our gifts to bless one another. And again, they're for the benefit of one another, not for us. A culture of honor, not just honoring leaders like in unhealthy churches where everyone's honored because Jesus died for you. You're made in the image of God and you're, you're worthy of dignity, love, and respect. And if you're in Christ, he died to redeem you. If he says you're justified, who am I to dishonor you? Culture of honesty, where we love people. We live in a culture that says if you're honest with people about what's hard or if you make someone uncomfortable, you don't love them. That's a lie. But we don't share honesty to, to blast people or hurt them. We do it for their good. Doctors take an oath, do no harm. They don't take an oath that says, do not make them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Surgery is fairly uncomfortable. But it's to bless, it's to heal. So, so we're honest, even if it hurts a little bit. Because we want to protect people when we see them moving towards what looks like pain for them and sin and sadness. It's generosity. It's loving people more than stuff. It's service. The scriptures don't have a volunteer culture. They have a service culture. They have a servant culture. Volunteer is something you do if you get around to it. Servant culture is I belong to Jesus. How does he want me to serve him today wherever I am manifesting his presence? Does that make sense? Culture of radical service where our, our leading question isn't just what do I want? It's what does he want? It's not even what, what do other people, it's, it's what does he want? Which leads you to another one, another culture we see here, a culture of forgiveness. Which is always costly and hard, but beautiful when it's real. Not a pretend forgiveness where, where you don't grieve the wound and, and you try to forget it and you, 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 you fake smile and act like things are okay. That's not forgiveness. That's denial. Forgiveness goes, you wronged me so much, but I wronged Jesus so much and he forgave me. And even if I can't trust you an ounce, I forgive you. Jamie's going to be your pastor. You can talk to him about forgiveness. It's a complex topic. First test. <laughs> Culture of hospitality. Hospitality is not making good food. Okay? It's great when good food's involved. I think it's a helpful tool. But hospitality, biblically, is to welcome in the stranger. Often around food, but you're welcoming them in not just to a meal, but into your life. A culture where the people that, that, that our world says are on the outside, we say, come on in. Come on in. It's going to get messy, but come on in. Because Jesus said, come on in, and we're messy. A culture of enemy love, a culture of empathy, a culture of grace, a culture of peace, a culture of hope. There are a lot of cultures here. How do churches take on these cultures and these values? Would you guys agree not enough churches look like this? But, but if the church looked like this, how beautiful would it be? The things that, that our culture slams the church for, most of them are not found in this passage. A lot of times it's we, we, we're hypocrites is what the charge is, and often we are. But what if we, we, we sought, not, we can't do it perfectly, we still sin, but what if we sought and aspired to live out just Romans 12? And when we failed to do it, we apologized instead of defended it or got self-righteous or said, look at their sin. <laughs> look at the world. <laughs> they said, no, you know what? That's, that's not befitting. What we did wasn't befitting of a follower of Jesus. We're so sorry. Don't blame him for us. 
There's not a lot of churches like that, but God's desire is that we would become that type of church. But how does that happen? And, and one, it's not the only way, but one of the most important ways, one of the most important tone setters is this, is that a church family learns health and maturity from the example and teaching of its leaders. My last point. A church family learns health and maturity from the example and teaching of its leaders. I've spent the last two years studying something called, um, called Bowen Family Systems Theory, or Family Systems Theory for short. And it's a secular psychological framework that, that walks through kind of why people struggle to, uh, to, in life and how to help them. And the concepts, uh, really the concept says this, that we often focus, when we try to help people that are like dysfunctional or struggling in life, um, we often just focus on them or their behavior removed from their context or environment or the system they live in. And so family systems, um, though it's a secular theory, it, it, it often illuminates biblical truth. Because what it says is, is that you and I aren't, aren't we don't, uh, we, we're not on an island, okay? Even if you live in Ireland or Mauritius, you, you don't live on an island, in that you're not just a, 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 an individual. Your actions don't just impact you, they impact others. And the scriptures teach this over and over again, right? He who walks with the wise grows what? Wise. But the companion of fools suffers much harm. So who you spend time with impacts who you become. Uh, another idea biblically, one part of the body impacts other parts of the body, right? If you have a heart attack, you don't go, oh, my heart had an attack, but I'm, I'm fine. If your heart gives out, it's, like, it's not like my heart dies. It's like, no, you, you die. We're interconnected, the scriptures say. We're not called to be codependent or independent, but we're interdependent as the body of Christ with Jesus as the head, but, but we impact one another. There's this idea that unhealth can infect health, that unhealth and sin spread like gangrene when they're, not, uh, when they're unaddressed. And so uh, in family systems theory, they talk about what, what constitutes a dysfunctional family. And they say that the presence of immature, unhealthy members of the family don't determine whether or not it's a dysfunctional family system, right? Because of the fall, every family has people wrestling with sin and suffering in it. That's not what makes it dysfunctional. Also, um, because of the way human beings develop, the way God created us, by nature, children are inherently immature uh, members of the family, right? They tend to be pretty self-absorbed, pretty immature, uh, that kind of thing. Now, what determines whether or not it's, it's a healthy family system isn't are there immature, unhealthy people. It's what does the family do with those members of the family? And what role do they play? So, for example, scenarios where the most unhealthy have the most power or are enabled with, by those in authority, those become unhealthy situations, the greatest predictor of whether or not a family will be healthy, according to systems theory, is this. Do those with the most authority, usually parents, take responsibility for their own growth? Because healthy parents or caregivers often, overwhelmingly actually, lead to fairly healthy children that I mentioned before. And, and here's the idea. You can't teach and model something you don't have. We're sinful by, by nature, right? We, we, don't, we don't learn the right way to live naturally. We have to be taught, right? I've never taught any of my kids to hit anyone. They have all hit people. I never was like, hey, guys, you should bite someone. Listen to your dad. Bite that kid. Take their toy. Lie about it, right? They're like a hip-hop group. They're naughty by nature, okay? That, that's them. A little throwback hip-hop joke. Probably not the right crowd for that. 
It's fine. <laughs> right? But, but I don't have to teach rebellion. I have to teach obedience and faithfulness and love and generosity and joy. Those family values, I have to teach those. No family or culture has those naturally. And so in other words, as goes the parents, so goes the family. In the same way, right, as goes the church leaders, so goes the church. So you can't have unhealthy church leaders and have a healthy church simultaneously. We keep trying to do that. Does that make sense? You can have, now let me be really clear. You can have a big church with a gifted leader. You can't have a healthy church with an unhealthy leader. You can't have a, a healthy family with unhealthy parents. On the other hand, it's very hard to have, a, uh, to have a healthy church leader for very long without it impacting the church's culture in a positive way. Just like the church is called to be salt and light, leaders are like salt and light to their church. They're, they're encouraging obedience and health and love and the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to look real quick at how the Scriptures describe healthy leadership in the family of God. We're almost done. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, Peter says this. He's writing to the leaders of the church. This guy's called elders or overseers. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter here says, don't be motivated by the acceptance of man. Don't be motivated by money. And don't be motivated because you want to control someone. If you do that, you're going to hurt people. And you're, going to, you're not going to bring Jesus glory. There's so many people who want to be leaders in the church who lead because they want those things. And the sad thing is, is they often aren't shy about it. Instagram has thousands of sermon clips and social media posts by leaders who clearly are in ministry to build a platform for themselves. Their actions speak louder than their words. It's all about Jesus. Subscribe. It's all about Jesus. Buy my book. It's all about Jesus, but seriously, have you guys seen my blog? You know, whatever it is. Healthy leaders are motivated by pleasing Jesus, not man. They're motivated by the reward of Jesus, not the reward of money or material possessions. They're shepherds, not CEOs. They don't have time to build a platform or build a brand because they're build, busy building a church. They're busy raising a spiritual family. They are spiritual family men. They're churchmen. And churches people work. Anyone, anyone here uh, have or has had young kids before? Okay, raise your hands, but let's see, loud and, or high, and, high and proud, okay? Uh, how many of you guys, when they were toddlers, you had a lot of time for extra stuff? Anybody? Right. No, <laughs> right? Uh, raising spiritual kids, if you're doing that for real, you don't have time to do 19 book tours. I'm serious. Shepherding is, is long, slow, patient work. I'm not saying you can't travel and speak, but I'm doing that right now. But I want to say that leaders go, my, 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 my hope is that, that leaders go, man, I, I want to see shepherding happening 
I want to see, um, again, leadership in the church. Again, it's, it's, it's family work, as we're going to see in a second in 1 Thessalonians. You don't raise children by just telling them what adults do. You model adulthood to them and teach them what adults do. Healthy church leaders don't make disciples by just telling the church what mature disciples do. They make disciples by living out the ways of Jesus with people and teaching them why they do that from the scriptures. It says in this passage that, that they are examples to the flock. The only way you can be an example is if you spend time with people. You have to be godly, and you've got to be available, accessible, seen. You can teach the Bible from the front in a pulpit, but you can't be an example from the pulpit unless you're being an example in Bible teaching, which is fine, but there's more to following Jesus than that. You can teach that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church from the pulpit, but you can only be an example of that by letting people see your marriage. You can teach on doing conflict resolution in the way Jesus taught us to, but you can only be an example of conflict resolution if people are close enough to you while you're with other people to see conflicts happen and see how you navigate them. You can teach on generosity or service, but you can only be an example of those things if people get close enough to you and you're close enough to them to know how to serve and be generous to them in a way that's actually helpful to them, not about posturing and virtue signaling. So healthy leaders help people become like Jesus through invitation and example, not command and control. They go, follow me as I follow Christ. I love you. I'm inviting you into this, and I'm doing it. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not doing myself. We'll close with this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without results. So he's writing to the Thessalonian church, Thessalonican Christians, and he's describing his ministry to them. Okay, I want you to hear this. Verse 2 says, On the contrary, after we had pre- previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, We were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel message, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. You want leaders who don't seek glory from people. Remember that. So often the flashy leader, the gifted leader, is seeking attention from people, but they're not giving their attention to the church. And I'm not trying to get you to feel skeptical about leaders. I want you to go, what should I look for in leaders to follow? Verse 7 says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. This is leadership, breastfeeding. (laughs) It might sound crude, it's the Bible. I've never heard of that conference, right? Nursing mother leadership with John Maxwell, whatever. Like, I've never seen that, that conference But Paul describes that. He goes on, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. There's that example again. I share my life with you, not just a message, not just a sermon. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that you would not burden any, so we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, 
like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's leadership. I was going to tell a bunch of stories about ways I've seen this in the lives of other people, and then I just realized you guys just don't need that because you've been led with this type of leadership for eight and a half years by a couple that has shared their life with you and the gospel with you. They're kitchen with you. They're dining with you. Not just their sermons, but their life in Grant and Michelle Clark. Again, leadership is about being a nursing mother, gently nurturing sons and daughters to wholeness. It's encouraging, comforting, and imploring people over and over again to become like Jesus. What I know so much about this couple, one thing I know about this couple that's so true about them is that they really, 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 really want you to become like Jesus. That's Grant's like whole thing. Holiness, love, maturity, give yourselves to God. They're encouraging you towards that over and over and over again. Again, leadership's being a godly example, which means you're you're godly and you're accessible, which they've been those things. Leadership sharing the gospel from your weakness, which again, they've done those things. And so right now what I want to do is call that couple on up right now. Um, so Grant and Michelle Clark, would you guys come on up here? Give it up for Grant and Michelle. Let's honor them. Uh, I also want to call up Jamie and Lisa. Uh, and my wife, Jackie, right now. Uh, one of the things I did feel weird, Jackie mentioned it last night, like, because they're coming to San Diego. I'm like, I, I'm here and they're coming to us. And if I didn't think God was doing this, I'd, I'd feel weird about it. I don't feel weird about it because I think God's doing it. I also don't feel weird about it because of the leadership team that's stepping in to lead this church. But it doesn't change that it's going to be hard that it's going to be sad. And so what I wanted to do um, is, is pray over this couple, and then they want to address you. Uh, because they're, they're not just ending their time here leading. They're going to take this type of leadership to another place. They're being commissioned and sent out. They're not just leaving and starting somewhere new. They're continuing this work of raising spiritual sons and daughters in a new space and place that I really do does believe need them. And they're creating space for others to step in and do that, and for others to rise up and do that in this church. So we want to pray um, peace over them as they transition. Also pray a prayer of commissioning for them as they go out into their future. Does that make sense? And then we're going to hear from the two of them uh, before we move into the next part of today's time. And so, um, yeah, we'd love to pray for you guys. You guys want to maybe come in the the middle a little bit if possible. And um, maybe Jamie, um, Jamie, Lisa, and Jackie, you guys, you down to pray to start, boo? And then these guys. You guys join us in praying for Grant Michelle. Okay, um, Jesus, I thank you so much for Grant and Shell. Um, I thank you for the faithfulness that you um, have given them to this church. Uh, leading a church is, in a lot of ways, like um, almost like having a baby. Uh, you give so much of yourself to it. You give uh, your time. You give your thoughts. You have sleepless nights. You have moments of worry and concern, um, but you also celebrate in the progress you see, 
the um, beautiful um, accomplishments that happen. Um, and uh, I just pray, God, that you would uh, help them to hold on to the memories of this season that they have. I pray that they would be so encouraged um, that you are the one who uh, has called them. You were the one that called them to um, this church to begin with, um, and you're the one that's calling them on. I thank you for um, blessing this community and more communities in the future with Grant and Shell. Um, thank you for what you're doing, and we pray for peace in this season of transition. We pray that you would give them uh, courage um, as they have uh, moments of uh, uncertainty, and you would just cover them with your grace and your love, God. Lord, we just pray for Grant and Shell. Um, I just thank you for their love for you and also your love for them, God. And I pray that um, you would flood them with uh, your love for them, that they would have a fresh um, revelation of how much you love them, Lord, as, as your daughter and as your son, Lord Jesus, that they would become like children before you, God, um, just simple and... Um, and totally reliant on you, Lord. And I, I ask that you'd uh, give them a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord Jesus, and, and bring them joy, Lord Jesus, that they can delight in being with you and knowing you and knowing that you are in control and that you are with them. Lord, I just uh, pray that you would put your hand upon them. We thank you, Lord, that they don't leave Harbor City. They are sent. And they're not just sent by this church, they're sent by you, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that you would put your hand upon them for the next season ahead, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them for the season they've had, that you would whisper into their ears, that they would hear your voice and be encouraged about the work that they have done the last eight and a half years. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, even as they take a break, that you would strengthen them for their season ahead, and that they would go with confidence, they would go with strength, they would go with just the sense of your hand being upon them, your call upon their lives, your commissioning into their future, Lord, we pray. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, you would keep them, you would cause your face to shine upon them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give them peace in Jesus' name. And, and Father, I, I just want to ask for reminders, reminders of what you have accomplished in and through this couple, uh, that you'd encourage them with, with the fruits of their labor, that, they, that they'd get calls and texts from people to saying, I don't know if you realize this, but you, this conversation meant more than you know, or this sermon meant more than you know. Or that meal, or that just that time you 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 said, "Hey, I I'd like to get to know your story." That I felt like I was I wanted I was wanted, and I felt like I wanted to, to maybe maybe this Jesus would want me too, and and just for, for for moments where they could taste again just the, the fruits of their labor that they've partnered with you like a farmer again. It's Paul's metaphor they, that, that in the way that a farmer would partners with God for rain and for soil and for weather and for sun, um, Lord, that they have done their part. They have planted. They've watered. Um, people have played different roles in the life of this church over the years, but God, you've caused the growth, but they got to be a part of it. 
God, you, you're sovereign. You can do whatever you want through whomever you want, and you chose to, to use them in this space and place and time. And I pray that, that they'd um, find a lot of joy in that. And despite the costly nature of ministry, that you would just show them why it was worth it. First, for, for a, a vision again of you, Jesus, how worthy our king is, but two, the honor and privilege of seeing what you did in people's lives. I just pray for reminders of those things. And I pray for, for a whole lot of it in the future. Pray for a season of refreshing and reminding as they take sabbatical and they get ready for a new season. I also pray, God, that you would give their hearts peace in regards to this church. The best part about them is what makes this so hard for them is they, they really do live out what I taught. They love these men and women. They've laid down their lives for them day in and day out. They sought to not be a burden to them, but to share their lives with others even when it's costly. And so, Lord, would you, would you put their heart at ease that, that you're taking it from here, that they can trust you, they can trust this new couple to continue on the work that they started, to build on the foundation, to get ready for the new season of crops. And they can feel proud of the work they did and the time that they did it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let's honor Grant Michelle. Give it up for them. speak to you. Tari, I don't know if I ever want to see those photos. That's gonna be, it's gonna be rough. Um, wow, guys, it feels very, um, I think I've said the word surreal too many times, but yeah, I think preparing to come uh, this afternoon, it just was so strange, you know, after eight and a half years of prepping for a service and knowing that today was our last one um I yeah I, I know I said a lot last night but it really has been a privilege <laughs> a privilege to lead this church and um I think like Andy touched on it this hasn't been a job for us you have been family and yeah we feel so honored to have been the first leaders of Harbour City and have started this community. Um, we love you. We're so grateful for each one of you. Um, thank you for sharing your lives with us. And um, yeah, we will miss you so much. But Jamie and Lise, so excited for this new season of Harbour City. Jamie, you've already got the outfit down, black shirt, black jeans. No one will even notice the difference. So. Um, <laughs> In a good way. Um, but yeah, obviously we've known you for years, but it's just, it's been so sweet just reconnecting over the last, I guess, year or so and um, just seeing, I guess, more of your gifts and um, the work that God has done in each of you over the years. And I think it's just been such an incredible thing for 
I guess for us, when people say, you know, how do you feel about moving on and handing over Harbour City? And it's honestly just, it feels so easy to hand over this church to you because you're such wonderful people and wonderful leaders. And it's an amazing thing to just, um, yeah, have the incredible peace that we do have. Um, I think you both have incredible gifts that I think will enrich this community so much. And yeah, we're so grateful to be handing over to you. Love you guys lots. I feel like I've um, said so much this year. Um, my first four sermons of January have been messages to this church, kind of final encouragements. And just as we kind of celebrated the church last night, got to say a little bit more. So short and sweet. We love you, Harbour City. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> um, it has been one of the privileges of our lives to play the role that God has called us to play. And um, I said this last night, but it, it's probably the picture I think God has given me in just preparing for today. Um, Apple's amazing, like the phone maker. Um, I, <laughs> I was looking through, <laughs> buy an Apple. There's a whole lot of people who are really unhappy with that, but um, I was going through old photos and just reminiscing and looking through significant moments in the story and um, Apple makes these videos for you <laughs> of things that just pop up. Summer 2016 and uh, Christmas 2018 and all of those things and you can just reminisce. And this one popped up this week that just said portraits. And um, it was just the cover photo was Eugene Schlorpe and I thought, oh, this is cool. Um, one photo of Eugene, who knows what the other photos will be of. And it was just all Eugene, all the time. <laughs> I don't know why, but Apple thought this is a Eugene moment in God's life. And um, I just went through these photos, and photo one, um, I don't know how many years ago, maybe five or six years ago, in Mlazi at a Shisanyama, there's Eugene standing. And then photo two, I think it's at Nick and Carmen Vidivian's wedding, there's Shell and myself and Eugene. Photo three, very obscure photo, Eugene, you can barely see his face, but he's there. There's another photo of us praying for a couple that got engaged on a Tuesday night in one of our life groups, it's a very cool moment. Just photo after photo of Eugene. And I think what I want to say to you guys, Harbour City, is as we leave, we will carry many of those portrait videos with cool music in the background of you. Okay? Not literally. Not literally. <laughs> it's a digital age. We would never do that. Um, <laughs> but in our hearts, we will carry so many pictures and people and moments and memories for the rest of our lives. We love you deeply. Amen. Um, now we're going to install the new lead pastor of Harbor City. Um, Jamie, would you come on up here with uh, your wife, Lisa? Give it up for them now. Um, we're now going to begin uh, the pastoral kind of installation ceremony. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Bible doesn't tell you how to get married. Have you guys ever thought about it? It doesn't say how you can know who you're married to. 
They're married, by the way. That's not what I'm getting at. In other words, it doesn't say what the wedding ceremony should look like, how many people should be there, what the elements all should be, but it assumes, based on the commands it gives us, that you could know who you're married to. Love your wife like Christ loves her. like, man, who, who am I married to? I don't know. That you can know through choice and commitment. And there's freedom um, for, for when we express that choice and commitment, but that the parties involved would know. And so in the same way, it doesn't say how to install a pastor or an elder, but it assumes through choice and commitment that members of a church can know who their pastor is and that the pastor can know who their people are. And so there's different ways to install pastors and leaders. And for us, we found that uh, this pastoral uh, installation ceremony to be helpful. Again, there's other ways to do this, to ordain, to install, whatever you want to call it. But but the moment to to, to ask a a leader to um, lead a community. And so so we've we've done it this way over the years. It's been really helpful for us and our family of churches. And so this is what we do um, to make this reality official that Jamie's committing to Jesus and to this church that he uh, feels called to lead it and lead the team moving forward. And so what's going to happen is uh, Jamie's going to make commitments uh, to this church about what he's aspiring to in his leadership. So he's making these commitments really to Jesus, but before you as the church. He's saying, hey, this is what, what, what I'm aspiring to. He's not going to do it perfectly. He's a humble man. He said that. He said, I don't want to make it sound like I'm going to be perfect. He's like, no, th- but these are what you're aspiring to. And he said, when he fails to, to, to measure up to it, he, he's going to own it and apologize like good leaders do, like good dads do, spiritual dads do. Um, and so after that, we're going to um, pray over Lisa and Jamie. We have uh, a couple different leadership couples from other churches in the city and outside of the city that, that have been asked to come in to, to pray and prophesy over Lisa and Jamie and this church moving forward. It's kind of the new leadership team and the future of the church. And so to kick that off, we're going to work through these commitments. Uh, these commitments aren't magical. Uh, they come out of Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders. He says, hey, I want this to be true of you. And so we're asking him, hey, would you, would you like to make true in this space and place what Paul called elders? to back then. Does that make sense? And so, uh, Jamie, uh, we're going to go ahead and read through these. This might feel formal, but I think it's important. So please listen in. This isn't just a formality. Uh, Hear the importance of these things as as we work through them. And so, Jamie, if you endeavor to do the following to the best of your ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, say I do at the end of each commitment statement. Jamie, do you commit to live what you preach transparently and with integrity? Uh, do you commit to do the work of an evangelist? I do. do you commit to model what it means to be spirit-empowered and spirit-led? I do. do you commit to preach the whole counsel of God in a spirit of grace? I do. do you commit to guard the whole flock against heresy, immorality, and division? I do. do you commit to carry out the threefold role of an elder to shepherd, govern, and teach with Jesus at the center and at the forefront? Do you commit to live sacrificially and generously? I do. Do you commit to serve the church in prayer, whether or not they're around? I do. Do you commit to carry out church discipline on cases of unrepentant sin that harm the soul of the person and the health of the church, even when it pains you? I do. Do you commit to always point people to Jesus, the good shepherd and great commissioner, and therefore to cultivate a healthy church community with a culture of the great commission? And last, but certainly not least, do you commit to serve under the lordship of Jesus? Again, no leader is perfect. Jamie, however, uh, today by making these commitments, you're saying to this local expression of Christ's church that you will pursue faithfulness to these commitments as long as you're in this role and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you will seek uh, to... to, um, to own it when you don't and to, to seek out his grace. 
And so with that being said, I now present to you for the very first time your new lead pastor, Jamie Turnent. Keep it going. Uh, in a second, you're going to hear from this amazing couple, uh, but before we do that, uh, I know Grant and Michelle has asked a few people, uh, external voices, to come on up and pray and prophesy over the, this couple as leaders, and again, as the future of the church. And so I want to call up uh, the Hardys. Uh, come on up, uh, Nick and Cuddy. Uh, the Antulis. Are you here? Are you here? The Antulis. Come, uh, come on up. Come on up. Uh, the Barnes. Or Caitlin. Caitlin. Come on up. The Lennoxes. And the Clarks, will you guys come on up? And um, uh, Jamie and Lisa, would you guys be willing to sit here, or sorry, stand here in the middle, and then kind of uh, come around you guys as they pray? And are, uh, I know it's COVID. Are you guys willing to lay hands? Does that sound good? You guys cool with that? Okay. So you guys want to come on in, uh, lay hands? And. Uh, Caitlin, would you start us uh, in prayer? And we'll kind of move through the couples as each couple feels led um, to share whatever the Lord's put on your heart for them and for this church. So Brian does have something he wants to share with the two of you. So he'll do that via voice note. And he says his apologies. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for this family that you have chosen to proclaim your decree to the ends of the earth as you renew all things. We thank you for the assembly of the saints that you gather imperfect people to carry forth your mission. And so we ask, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and empower this man and this woman to love like Jesus. Come Holy Spirit and empower this man and this woman for a long obedience in the same direction. Come Holy Spirit and empower this man and this woman for your mission and your mandate through Harbor City to Durban. May they embody and live out the way of Jesus as a prophetic declaration to the people of this nation. And may you use their lives to restore a little bit of heaven in this place. And I just think of the words, I think it's uh, Teresa of Avila who says, the church has no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Come Holy Spirit and empower them for service to you and your mission. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, for, we thank you for Jamie and Lisa. We thank you for this special moment. Um, we thank you for who they are. We thank you for the orchestration of you know, life and friendships and how they've been joined to Grant and Michelle and leading to this moment. You see things beforehand. And we recognize that history as... I think that establishes a level of peace 
stability in this very, very special time, Lord. And we thank you for their gift. And, and the word that's been in my heart, Jamie and Lisa, is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. It talks about, actually, this is also, I think, a word of wisdom and encouragement for Harper City. It talks about um, different kinds of gifts, gifts by the same Lord, the same Spirit. I think there's, there's a calling in, in this transition time to appreciate first and foremost the different gift. That dis- in fact, that word that different is the word that means distinction, the discernment of Jamie and, and Lisa and the, 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 the anointing of God, the gift of God, the, the, the personality of Jesus that they represent. But to put that alongside the reality of the sameness of the Spirit, that the DNA strand of this church has not been interfered with, that that which God had in mind and before the beginning of time to establish through Harper City has not been interrupted. It is the same God, but a different, a different gift. And so we thank you for who they are. We thank you for the diversity that they bring to this community. We thank you, God, that there is a calling and there is a timing. There is a, there is a kairos. There is a there's a, there's a challenge from the spirit for what this church has to become and that you've seen that even as you send and commission Grant and, and Michelle God out that Jamie and Lisa are the people appointed, I think not just actually just for friendship, but because it is the will of God. And, and, and Paul says it's the apostle of God by the will of God that we look beyond actually the friendship, we look beyond the history, we look beyond the human details inside of this special moment we see a choosing of God, that Jamie and Lisa were the chosen ones. They could have not been, but God, you have chosen them. And so I pray that even as they get established today, that they know that, that is not just the, the elements of familiarity that bring them to this moment, but that there's a choosing from heaven that brings them here. And, and Jamie says, even as you consider, how do I start? And Jesus says, I am the Alpha. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And, and God says, go back to look into the things I've laid inside of your own heart. There's been a season of preparation. There, there's, a, there's been a season of, of, being, of being taken out and God preparing you. And God says, I've placed the alpha word inside of your own heart, the alpha work. And that's, God says, that's where you begin. You begin in Jesus. Do not begin the details that may surround issues and, uh, you know, the hypocrisy uh, or what, what may have been even the preaching last Sunday, God says, look at Jesus, the Alpha, and let him be the Alpha, let him be the Omega of this work. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we want to thank you for Jamie and Lisa, Lord, for the journey that they have walked with you. Um, we know that they are a man and a woman who love you deeply, God, and just want to thank you for every prayer that they have prayed, Lord, every time that they have lifted their arms to you, every time they have asked the questions, Lord, of, of what is it that you've called them to, Lord, every time that they have shed a tear, God, laughed a laugh, every time they have prayed to you, gone on their knees, Lord, just want to thank you, thank you. Um, for the profound work of you intimately in their lives, God. And just want to thank you for the place that you've brought them to here, a new season, Lord, a new chapter. And uh, we pour for, we ask for an outpouring of your grace, Lord. 
your grace and that continued intimacy, Father. We know that deep calls to deep, Lord, and we know that this is a man and woman that love to go deep with you, Father, and um, pray that they would hunger and thirst after you. Pray that they would find you. Pray that they would feast on you, Lord, and from that uh, um, overflow, they would be able to feed and love and to care and teach your people, God. So won't you pour out your grace upon them? Thank you. We love them, Lord, and um, how much more do you love them? And how much more do you want to do exceedingly abundantly, more than they could ever ask or even imagine, God? In Jesus' name, amen. Do you mind if I face you, Jamie and Lisa? Just more of a prophetic word, and I'm intrigued and love, perhaps, of all the subjects, the commissioning of God for me, uh, grips my heart and uh, I just want to say this from the um, from the mandate of Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion and to and to have seed bearing plants with fruit with seed in it all the way to Noah and it says go make yourself an ark of cypress wood and God's going to give you detail Jamie make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and outside and this is how you're to build it Noah did everything just as the Lord had commanded to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So Abraham left as God had told him and Lot went with him. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. To Moses, take your sandals off for the place you're standing is holy ground. And this must be holy ground when God's call comes upon you. And to Joshua, may God, may the Lord appoint a man over this community to go out and to come in before them one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, the two of you, and lay your hands on him and commission him. And to Gideon, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior, Jamie and Lisa. To David, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, so that from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Elijah went to Elisha and threw his cloak around him. What a beautiful and simple thing. To Nehemiah, and because the gracious hand of the Lord my God was upon me, the Lord granted me the king's requests. And to Isaiah who said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, Go tell this people, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And Jeremiah said, O sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth or a child. And the Lord said, do not say, I'm only a youth or a child. Go to everyone I send you and say, whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you, and I will come and rescue, says the Lord. And so Ezekiel, the Lord said, son of man, stand to your feet. I think there's a new posture for you, Jamie, that you'll stand to your feet, and I will speak to you. And he spoke this, and the Spirit came into me, and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And to Barnabas and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And after they prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them out. And uh, if I could take just one occasion to honor Charles and Anne, could you just stand for a moment, Grant's parents, Charles and Anne, I want to honor you and, just, and what's happened with Grant. And uh, Kathy Potter, where are you? 
Please stand, Kathy. I want to honor you as the, uh, the parents of the outgoings. <laughs> I want to say well done, and you've seen some tears, and you've sown, and for you particularly, Kathy, as you, you're in ministry for so many years. And Norman and Claire, would you stand? I want to honor you for the incoming parents. And um, also, Colleen, where are you? I want, I want to honor you, Colleen, and uh, take pride in these amazing kids of yours that you have, and incredible daughter, Norman and Claire, that you've raised. That'll be an amazing blessing. And so they will love you, church. They will care for you. They will mature you. They will call you. They will feed you. They will leave you. And Father, I pray a deposit from God yes, on this couple and that you poured it upon David and he went out in the spirit of the Lord. So Lord, I ask you for the, the, the horn of oil yes. upon this couple, a season unrecognized, unrecognizable that they will walk into a grace and a power that will truly astound you. These are my prayers in the name of Jesus. Jamie and Lisa, hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. We've heard a lot about you. When I was praying for this moment, I was drawn to Acts 6 verses 5. Another ministry setting apart moment in the life of the church. It says, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And... Um, I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 that says we walk by faith, not by sight. And so as we walk, so we also lead. We lead not by finances, not by fear, not by feedback, not by failures, not by feelings, but by faith. And I just want to pray for an impartation of faith. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you fill Jamie and Lisa and their children's hearts with faith in Jesus name faith to build God's work here on earth faith to believe when there is unbelief Lord faith to preach when it's hard in Jesus name faith to get up and love when they've been hurt in Jesus name and faith to trust you for growth when they've planted and watered in Jesus name amen I'll go last I wanted to say to you guys that you were always our first choice. And um, I know that over the years, you guys have had many, many different opportunities and options and requests to lead in different parts of the country and the world. And I remember Jamie getting together with you at Humble and sitting with you and kind of nervously getting ready to say, hey, this is what we believe God is doing with us. And would you consider taking over the leadership of this church from us? Not knowing what you would say, because I know you turned down many other options and churches and people before. And I think as Shell and I had spoken, we just said, you guys were the only people, you know? If you said no, we go, okay, God, <laughs> you've got something else up your sleeve. We don't know what it is. But um, I just want to say thank you for responding to the call of God. Thank you. Um, for believing that what we believe God is doing is what you believe God is doing. We're really, really excited that as it seems like the Spirit is working in us and this church is working in the same way in you. Thank you. Secondly, we wanted to give you a gift. This is a gift from Harbor City. Most of the church doesn't know, but um, 
<laughs> Surprise. <laughs> well done for your generosity. Um, <laughs> um, it's common at ordinations to give a Bible, um, obviously because you guys are going to preach and teach and lead and counsel and disciple through the scriptures. But um, Jamie, about a week after you guys had responded and said, do you think this is what God is doing? I went online and I ordered these for you and I know it's a Bible you've wanted for a long time. So I hope I got it right. Brian, help me. If I messed up, I'm really sorry. Um, it's fine, I can see the blue box. <laughs> For the Bible nerds in the room, this is an Allen Bible, which is a very special, Jamie could do it more justice than me, but like bespoke Bible made in the UK. Lisa, I want you to know yours is blue, because when I met you many years ago, you had a beautiful blue Bible. And I just trust for you guys um, that this will be a gift to you that will bless you. And this church exists to know Jesus and make Jesus known. And I trust that as you guys get into this, that you will grow in your relationship with him and that in all you do, that you will make him known to Harbor City and way beyond. And then lastly, I wanted to ask you guys just to take a moment to look through the crowd. Um, I know we've got a bunch of visitors here today, but one of the words I said yesterday I felt right now is joy. Joy over the privilege of leading this community. Joy over the people and being part of their lives. A lot of what Andy said tonight. And just as you look at this community, I, I believe God is going to fill you with joy as you pastor and as you lead and as you're in people's homes and as you deal with all the situations you will deal with. I believe there will be a great joy in this role, in this place with these people. I believe God's gonna bring you great joy. Amen. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you guys are dismissed. Kind of an awkward microphone moment there. That was all on me. Uh, should have came around a little more discreet. Um, well, I just want to say, um, don't please don't go anywhere, Jamie. Oh, so the Bible stuff. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, it's uh, good news for you. This is the last you're going to hear from me. And from here on out, I'm going to let your lead pastor take away the rest of the gathering and his lovely wife, Lisa. Hello, everyone. <laughs> always laugh because Jamie always nominates me to go first. <laughs> um, and also, I also had a chuckle when Grant was saying that when he spoke to Jamie, he wasn't sure if we were going to say yes or no, because my knee-jerk reaction when Jamie was coming back was, oh, it's probably going to be a no, <laughs> but let's go and pray about it anyways. <laughs> and thankfully, like God didn't give us a direct word, but just grew, grew our faith. Um, and has continued to grow our faith and excitement for coming down here. Um, yeah, so thank you to everyone who's here that has come and so many people that have contributed to our lives and our faith over the years. Um, so it's really awesome. And also to Harbor City because you guys have been really cool and welcoming towards us. And we even have a life group, which is really awesome. <laughs> um, so I really loved getting to know you guys and uh, meeting you so far. Um, and 
Yeah, I think the scripture that's been in my heart is um, from Psalm 16, where it says, God, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And as for the saints in the land, they are my glorious ones in whom is all my delight. And I think that's my prayer for us personally, that we would grow in our love for Jesus and we would, um, we would value him more than anything, more than leadership, more than that we would love Jesus and continue to devote ourselves to him. And also for you, for the, for the church, that above all else, we would, we would seek Jesus and we'd know the treasure that he is. And um, secondly, that, um, that we would delight and enjoy each other. And I really have enjoyed so far just getting to know people. And, um, you know, we are part of this community as much as we're leading it. We want to be part of the community. We want to, we, we'll probably be changed by you. We're all becoming more like Jesus. And so that's what I'm also excited about, just to be part of this community, to learn from you guys. And I know this whole evening is like around us, but I'm sure there's, there's many more people here who will play a much more important role than what we're playing in the life of Harbor City. And um, yeah, not to overlook that. Um, so we look forward to seeing what God's doing in you and what he's going to do through you and how as a community we're going to grow together and um, become more like Jesus. Good afternoon, Harbour City. I know, I know it's been long and it's hot in here and but uh, if you would have some grace, we can do a couple of random things, uh, and then I want to share one quick word. But uh, Mark and Bert, please come in, please. Come on, come on. Now, all the visitors are like, what is going on here? But Mike and Britt got engaged last night. Which, as younger people, is a really countercultural thing to do right now. And brave and bold and exciting. And I must admit, when you year, I hardly know you guys. But my heart was so excited for, for you guys. And it's a really exciting thing. So, Kelly Monroe, can I ask you, as life group leaders of Mike and Brett, to come and pray f- for them? This is a great, it's a great thing. It's a really great thing. Lord, we thank you for the season of doing new things, and um, we thank you that what you bring together doesn't fall apart, King. And um, so we pray for for Mike and Britt um, as they've made this commitment, Lord, that you would bless them, King. And I thank you that as um, as they come together, that you would surprise them, Lord, surprise them with how beautiful marriage can be, and and not in this one and two years and three years, but in the five years, the 10 years, the 20 years, Lord, that you'll reveal that you knew what uh, you were wanting Mike to be 
the person you want him to be at the age 40 and how perfect um, Brit <laughs> will be for that person and vice versa, King, because they don't know their future. They don't know the horizon like you do. Um, and so I pray just that um, you'd allow them to walk um, forward boldly into the unknown because you are leading them, King, and you have ordained this moment. Um, we thank you for their, um, their obedience to you, Lord, in this season Jesus, and we thank you that they're a part of our church, Lord. What a blessing. Um. Lord, thank you so much for Mike and Britt's story and for your incredible faithfulness through it, Jesus. Thank you for the, just the genuineness that they have and the, the freshness that they bring to any room, Lord, and the absolute blessing that they've been to our community and to our family, Lord. And I'm so grateful for who they are and for the for the plans that you have for them Christ and I'm so excited to um, know them as they walk into this and to celebrate with them in this season and to watch Jesus as you continue and complete your incredible work that you are so faithful to complete Jesus um, I praise you for this moment and I pray that they would just experience all the joy and and love and yeah like all the gifts that you give, Lord. Thank you so much for this time, um, and thank you so much for your faithfulness in their future. Amen. Amen. Can I ask everyone who's an elder in a church to stand quickly? Let's hear you guys are, you can say. What I love about this picture is so many people from different churches have come to be part of this moment. No competition, no wrestling, just coming to support, encourage. It's such a beautiful thing for the church in the city that all of you are here, so thank you. Thank you. I think it's a beautiful picture. Thank you. Um, so some of you know I spent five years studying, just finished a few weeks ago, and there were two people that got me through that moment. One was my wife, who kept on encouraging me not to give up, because I wanted to give up every week for five years <laughs> it was tough and the other person that got me through is a man called Rob Hollins who's over there and Rob is from Zim we studied together distance saw each other maybe four times a year uh, got on a plane with his wife his daughter flew up from Cape Town to, so that they could have a family holiday over this weekend to be part of this moment it's so special to me guys Thank you. Over the last few years, there's probably been three people that phone me every single week or have coffee or anything who have just been the most incredible friends, actually, when I've had good moments or bad moments. Um, they've just phoned me. They've encouraged me. They've had coffee with me. Um, Grant, you are probably the most relational person 
probably one of the most gifted people I've ever met. Why you've chosen to be a friend with me, I can't even understand. <laughs> but thank you, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Kelvin. I don't know why you phone me every week. Sometimes I'm amazed by it, but you do. Your friendship has, has been amazing. There's a man here called Gunter. Um, he was my best man at my wedding. 18 years ago, we started praying for Durban on the top of the parking of the Royal parking lot, and then we would go when it was raining, and we would pray in the Musgrave Center parking lot, and we would look over Durban, and we would pray that God would come. And Gunther, you've taught me so much. You've been a better friend than I could have ever asked for. You're low maintenance, but you... <laughs> What I mean by that is, <laughs> he is German. <laughs> what I mean by that is, we don't have to chat all the time, but when we get together, it's always special. And you've taught me how to pray. And you've taught me how to have a desire that God would come into the city. And I, I want to thank you for that, because here we are in Durban, uh, 18 years after we started praying for it. And... Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. My mom's here. My mom's one of my heroes. As a single mother who many nights could not afford to put food on the table, my mom always had a smile on her face. She loved us. There's no one like you, Mom. This world trumps feminism and wants to give women recognition sometimes, but you've walked the walk of women who are strong, who are powerful, who have fought, who have done everything you can for us. You're an amazing mom. Thank you. Sorry, I hope you got grace for, for this. So Norman and Claire, I couldn't have asked for better in-laws. Um, never in a single moment in our almost 13 years of marriage have I ever, ever thought of you guys as outlaws. You. <laughs> That's truth. You guys have modeled to me what it's like to be followers of Jesus over a long period of time. And you do it faithfully, day by day, day by day. You love people, you love the church, you love your family, you've loved me. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, Grant and Shell, I think, um, as I said last night, cultures don't happen by accident as you look around Harbour City the quality of the people the strength that there is here the grace the love the way people serve the way people have come even this afternoon it's because a culture has been built and uh, 
and that's because of you guys. And we actually feel humble to come and be part of Harbor City because you guys have helped people really become like Jesus. And this Harbor City community is amazing. Um, and part of its amazingness is because you guys have poured out your lives. So well done. And thank you for asking us um, so that we would have the privilege to be part of, of this story and to be part of the story that you guys are so integral part of. Thank you. Can I say one last thing? But um, just give us a little bit of context here for Harbor City, who we're so excited to be part of this community, even though half of Harbor City is outside. <laughs> Hello. What's up, peeps? <laughs> um, 50 years ago, there was a revival in the city, um, a spiritual awakening. God came. And he met with people. There was a church that was birthed in that awakening called the Invisible Church. And 43 years ago, a group of people led by a raging evangelist who would preach with veins popping out his throat decided to leave Durban and go to Pinetown and plant a church called Red Point Church. My in-laws were part of that group. His name was Rob Rufus built the church, Red Point Church, which Nick and Cuddy lead, uh, which is an amazing church, just filled with passion for Jesus, a deep love for God, birthed out of an awakening. A guy called Sean Dooley came after Rob and started to stabilize some of the craziness that Rob was. Every week, you didn't know what you were going to get. You know, one day, could be preaching five-point Calvinism, the next is an Arminius. It was all over the place. But Sean came and brought some stability and, uh, and began just preach the Bible. And I think put love in the church for the Bible, which I've come to, to love um, through that community. Nick and Cuddy then came and, uh, and with the same passion for God and the love for the scriptures, put a warmth in the community. Community that I remember I was part of the church the Sean era when I was young was a bit cold, wasn't warm. The church building was cold and you guys just came and you turned a rabid, passionate, charismatic community into a family with warmth and love and generosity and boy, did we have extravagance so often. Um, and you guys put that in. Um, and then eight and a half years ago, out of that community, uh, Red Point decided to plant back into Durban. And Grant and Michelle took up the call to, to come into Durban uh, many years, probably 40 years after a spiritual awakening in the city, come back into the Durban to gather a group of people, to preach the gospel, to disciple people, to help them become like Jesus. Um, and Harbor City is the result of that. Um, and Grant, I think you've put in a community, you've added to a community that so many of those things ca came with, but you added this intentional discipleship, this let's become like Jesus. 
Um, and so this community is filled with love for God, passion for God, desire for Him to come. It's filled with a love for the scriptures. It's filled with a hospitality and a generosity and a warmth. And it's also filled with people who want to become like Jesus, who are intentionally taking the steps day by day to become more and more like him. Uh, and, and now we are here today, probably 50 years on from a spiritual awakening. And can I say this to us as Harbor City, as we go forward, I long that God would come and meet with us in a real, deep, intimate way. I long for spiritual awakening. I pray for that. I think in Luke 24, a bunch of guys on the road to Emmaus, Jesus begins telling them the gospel from the scriptures and their hearts are warmed. Their hearts begin to be set on fire. In Acts 2, the group of people are gathering around and the Spirit comes upon them and they begin to be the church and the church begins to change the world. And Harbor City, we're here with a rich legacy of people that have added in, that have given to this community, that have been faithful to the call of God. We're in a rich legacy of people who have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would come into the city, of people who have opened their homes and been generous and been giving and sacrificially have given of themselves so that this community can be here. And we're here now, not just for this moment, but we hear now that the legacy of what God is doing in the city will continue. We hear now praying that God would use us as a group of people to come and break into this city of Durban, this East African port city that we call home. We're here praying and praying and preaching the scriptures and declaring the word of God and preaching the gospel that people would come to know him and would be saved. The tragedy of 50 years ago is that when God spiritually awoke a community, it was in the midst of a hostile, oppressive system called apartheid. And somehow that spiritual awakening just didn't spill over. It just didn't break the barriers of, e of economics. It didn't break the barriers of race. It stuck with one group of people. But we hear 50 years on and things have changed. And my prayer is that God would come into the city again. And as he comes into the city, oh, would it be black and white and Indian and colored and every group of people and every age would come and the gospel would spread across lines, across economies, across races. We, we used to pray that the gospel would go from, dirt, from the tip of Africa all the way up to the top, but what we forgot was that the gospel wasn't even crossing the lines of race. But that is changing. God is at work. And my prayer is that God would come and meet us again. And as he does, it's gonna spill over into every space in Etiquini in this East African port city. Harbor City, we're, uh, we're so honored to be part of this community and do pray that God would use us in some way to lead you guys. And as we do, I pray that we would be a church that would reflect the glory of God into every space in society 
in Durban. Amen? So guys, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close, and we've got so much food. Um, this is like Red Point days, just coming up, so much food. Um, so we've got food, there's still going to be coffees and ice coffees and waters and things. Please stay, but can I pray? Thank you, Lord, for this moment. Thank you for Grant and Michelle, eight and a half years of serving and loving and giving themselves to this community. And even as we prayed, Lord, bless them into their future. Bless Harbor City into its future um, as it releases, as it gives uh, a couple to the U.S. I pray, Lord, that uh, the Harbor City would receive blessing from you. And Lord, we pray for our future. We pray not just for tonight or the next week, but we pray for the next 50 years. The next 50 years, the legacy of the church in this East African port city, we pray, God, that you would be upon it, that you would move upon it, and that you would use this little community, eclectic group of people gathering together here in Morningside, you would use it to spread the glory of Christ into the streets of Durban. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you all. Have a good evening.